This morning we come a little closer in our walk with eschatology. This uh, journey that we've been taking, the, the end will come and the five truths that will kind of shape the way we view eschatology. And, and, and really, this morning as we talk about God's promises, his covenant-keeping power, we really begin to define the essence of what we can begin to expect as we anticipate the future. It's all bound up in promise. It's all bound up, as we'll see, in the character of God. It is all bound up in God's ability not only to make promises, but to keep them. We'll see through our time this morning that what God says he will do, and a promise made is a promise kept. (laughs) That should have been really clear as we read through, as Steve read through Ezekiel chapter 20. Did you see it? Did you notice the, the rhythm, the pattern of words, the, the, the pattern of rebellion in the, the people as they acted out in spite of God's mercy, in spite of God's tenderness, in spite of God's affection and commitment to his people and willingness to deliver that time and time again they decided that instead of conforming to the standard, instead of honoring the one who loved them, instead of giving back affection and worship and obedience, they they rebelled. We see that time again. Verse 8, but they rebelled and were not willing to listen to me. Verse 13, but the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. Verse 21, but the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to obey my rules. What what do you do with rebel people like that? What do you do with those who step outside the bounds? What do you do with those who refuse to align their hearts and their lives in obedience to the, to the rules that you've given to them, the, the contract of your favor. What do you do? Well, this is what God should have done in verse 8. Then I would pour out my wrath upon them and speak against them in my anger in the midst of the land of Egypt. That's what he should have done. Down to verse 13. Then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end of them. Then, in verse 21, then I said, I would pour out my wrath on them and spend them in my anger against them in the wilderness. That's what should have happened. That's what sin demands. That's what rebellion against God requires. But what does God do? What do they deserve? They deserved wrath. They deserved deserved judgment. They deserved to be annihilated. But God, in his mercy, notice, notice the mercy heart of God. But, in verse 9, I acted for the sake of my name. That it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land. I did this for the sake of me. I did this for the sake of my reputation. I did this so that I would look glorious in the eyes of the nations who look at me as the God of Israel, who pulled them out of Egypt, that I am that one who can carry them. It is on me, not on them. Verse 
13, then I would pour out my wrath on them, but, verse 14, I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. Verse 22, but I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, in whose sight I had brought them out. Verse 33, as I live, declares the Lord, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. I will have my day. I will rule over you as I have promised. I will accomplish it. It is based on my power. It is based on my reputation. It is based on my ability to carry through the promises that I've made. I will do it. Verse 42, and you shall know the testimony. Here's what's at stake. And then you will know that I'm the Lord. When I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give to your fathers, and there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourself and you shall loathe yourself for all the evils that you have committed and you shall know that I am the Lord. Then you're gonna know. When I do the word that I have spoken and it's gonna happen centuries later than this moment, then you will know that I am true to carry out the word that I have, that I have commanded. It, re it rests on me. It's based on my power. So this is really the sermon in the nutshell. That the rest of our time together in looking through the, the promises of God from Genesis through e Ezekiel will be a culmination of the faithfulness of God to carry through the promises that he's made. And by the way, the, the promises that God made to Israel provide the foundation for us to understand what is going to happen in the end times because nothing has changed as we're going to see in our time together. This morning we're going to reflect and worship because of God's faithfulness. That God is faithful to a people not because people deserve it. That God is faithful to a people not because they're obedient not because they merit any kind of goodness or favor from him, but because God has determined in himself that he will fulfill the word that he has spoken. Because a promise made is a promise kept, and God is faithful. Those of us in this room who enjoy the benefits of union with Christ because of salvation, those of us in this room who have come to a place of recognizing our sin, who realize that we have nothing within ourselves, we are rebel Israel, as it were. We're in the same place as Israel. We deserve the wrath of God as we come to that place and we lay our sins at the feet of Christ. We ask him to forgive us. God, in his mercy, in his kindness, forgives for the sake of Christ. Jesus died the death that we deserved. So that Jesus could offer the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, and offer the gift of salvation and forgiveness and cleansing and righteousness that comes through Christ, through faith in Christ, 
And we get to now enjoy and partake in all of the privileges and the blessings that were promised to Israel. We inherit, essentially, as people of God. We are sons of Abraham in that respect. We get to enjoy all the benefits to Israel without cutting Israel out. So let's look at the, at the faithfulness of God. And we're probably not going to have enough time to get through it all today. Okay, that's, that's going to be okay because we've got two more weeks in this series. We'll just pick it up where we left off. But you should get a good taste of of God's faithfulness as we walk through whatever we cover today. First, I want you to notice, and I would encourage you to get your Bibles. Get your Bibles out. Even though I'm going to put the verses up on the screen, grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, that Bible in the pew in front of you belongs to you now. Okay? That's yours. That's our gift to you. We believe in the importance of the Word of God. And so, so, as we're walking through, look at the words on the page, mark it up, bookmark it wherever, in your device or in your hard copy, so that you can see the consistent faithfulness of God from start to finish. It should make us worship. Genesis chapter 3, it's on page 2, the very beginning of the Bible. First, we see that God is faithful to punish sin. God is faithful to punish sin. And by the way, that's good news. It sounds like bad news, but it's really good news. Because it means that, that no one's going to get away with, with wickedness and evil against you. And you're not going to get away with evil either. Sin will be punished. And we're, no, we're going to notice through our time together that, that a promise made is a promise kept. I've said that several times now. It's really the simplest and clearest way to describe what a promise really is. A promise isn't just words thrown out into the air without any meaning. But the words carry meaning and substance as those words are fulfilled in the way in which those words were communicated. And God, of course, is the preeminent example of one who sets the pattern of helping us know what a promise really means. As God is the one who makes promises and God is the one who faithfully keeps promises. So we should understand promise as we come to understand God. Perhaps one of the greatest ways to see that is in Psalm chapter 138 verses 1 and 2. It says this, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods I will sing praises to you. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth for you have magnified your word above all your name. Now that's almost a mind-blowing statement. You have magnified your word above your name? Seriously? Because I know that your name is significant. Matter of fact, bound up in the law in Exodus chapter 20 is a command not to profane the name of God. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain, for God will not hold him guiltless who takes the name of the Lord in vain. God's name is revered. God's name is exalted. God's name is lifted up and distinct. Holy, holy, holy is the name of God, the Lord God Almighty. His name is revered. But his name in reputation rests on the foundation of a word, the foundation of his covenant-keeping promises. His ability to keep his word helps establish the reverence that is due to his name. 
And so the psalmist puts these two together and, and almost draws some uh, emphasis to help us recognize the, the name of God is what it is because of the word of God and his ability to maintain and keep his promises. God's word and his name are inseparable. His reputation, his character. And so when we understand the nature of promise, we begin to understand the nature of God. When we understand the nature of promise, we begin to understand the nature of God. This is so important for us to, to grasp. And the Old Testament speaks of promise, and there are six major promises in the Old Testament that we're gonna try to cover very briefly but so that you can see the covenant-keeping nature of God and how his words carry through with specific meaning and fulfillment. There are over 200 times in the Old Testament where God refers to himself as the God of Israel. That's important. The God of Israel. And over 2,000 references to Israel in scripture. Not one of them means anything but Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There are 16 times where God refers to Abraham's descendants as elect Israel. And that's important for those of us who, who embrace the sovereignty of God, the foreknowledge of God, and the electing power of God, and those who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Israel is elect just like the church. And 14 times when God refers to his covenant as an everlasting, unbreakable, unconditional covenant. 290 times when the word covenant is used in the Old Testament. It is a predominant theme throughout the Old Testament. And 78 of those times where the word is used by the prophets. And that's important because it's through the, the prophecies of, of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel all the way through Malachi. These are the darkest days of Israel's history. And these are the exact moments that God confirms things are bad. Your rebellion is bringing discipline. You're experiencing judgment, but I have not forgotten my covenant with you. It has not erased my heart and love for you. It has not disqualified your, um, your position in my mind as I will carry through the promises that I've made. They are a chosen people. They are God's people. We'll see... Here in Genesis chapter 3, we'll begin to see the promise that God gives to Adam and Eve. Promise to punish their sin. It says this, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, and remember what happened, God had given specific instructions to Adam and Eve. You may eat of all the trees of the garden, but you can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent comes and tempts Eve. Eve eats of that fruit, gives to her husband. The two of them sin. They recognize their nakedness. God comes walking into the garden. They are hiding from the presence of God because they know that punishment is coming. At least punishment is deserved. And God comes to them and says this, because you have done this, serpent, cursed are you above the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your hand and you shall bruise his heel. 
Just by a show of hands, how many of you ladies are terrified of snakes? Okay, the honest ones are raising their hands. Good for you. The rest of you are probably too afraid to admit it. God has made good on his word. And by the way, it's not just the women who are afraid of snakes. I'm terrified of snakes as well. <laughs> Anything that, that moves quickly and can bite. I don't really, matter of fact, this morning as I was uh, as I studying in the dark with my computer screen on, I had this buzzing around my head and it made me jump, this moth. So, it, you know, snakes are just a, another scale above a moth, but I'm still afraid of, uh, it's, a, it's embarrassing. God has made good on his promise. The snakes are crawling on the ground, just like God said. And the future seed, Christ, who is coming, will do and fulfill the promise given to crush the serpent's head. The woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And of you who have had the experience of childbearing will know the pain that's involved. Any of you men who have witnessed the childbearing will understand the pain that comes as a result of this promise. God is faithful to carry through his promise. To the man in the next verse, next slide, we have that. To Adam in verse 17, he said, because you have listened to the woman and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you are taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Has God been faithful to his word? The very specific, the very plain, the very clear word of God. <laughs> Any of you who are tended the ground. Any of you gardeners out there will understand the difficulty of raising plants. The thorns and the thistles, the, the weeds that seem to grow better than any plant that you have. The sweat of your brow and God is faithful to this command in a very clear way. Because a promise made is a promise kept. God punishes sin. Sin demands punishment. But the promise doesn't stop with Adam and Eve. The promise continues. God's covenant-keeping nature, God's heart for deliverance will now show up in the pages of Genesis chapter 6, just a few pages later. God is faithful to provide salvation. The effects of sin in Adam and Eve continue. They linger. And now we find a, a new story where in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the, the environment, the atmosphere of sin has now grown almost out of control. The Lord saw in chapter 6, verse 5, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The world and society because of sin, gripped with the power of sin and the domination of its effects in their life, expressed themselves in such a way that they were only evil continually. 
And so God shows up to Noah, as you know the story, and said, I need to do something about this. And he decided to flood the world to, to, um, to destroy every living creature, every living thing on the face of the earth, except those that were part and, and were on the ark. Noah and his family built the ark according to the instructions that God gave to it. The precise width and length and, and, uh, width and, and height of this ark the, the number of floors that God had, had, had commanded for Noah to, to use, to use gopher wood, to bring two of every kind, and to put them on the ark just the way that God had commanded. As you know, um, God brought the flood, and for 40 days and 40 nights there was rain on the earth, and, and Adam and Eve, or excuse me, Adam, Noah and his family would spend about a year on the boat until finally, they would come off the boat and God would reestablish his promise to Noah and his family that we find in Genesis chapter 9, verses 11 to 13. I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Has God been true and faithful to his promise? Yes, he has. While there has been local flooding, there has never been a worldwide flood in this way again. Verse 12, And God said, This is a sign of my covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all the future generations I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And verse 16, When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all the flesh that is on the earth. God has set the rainbow in the clouds. God has allowed it to be a sign of his covenant with mankind that he will not again destroy the earth with a flood, a worldwide flood again. And God has been faithful to this everlasting promise. God desires salvation. God desires to redeem the world. Now we're beginning to move a little closer to the the plan of God, this master plan of God for his creation to overcome the plight of sin, the dominion that sin had over people, to make a way of salvation and deliverance that would come through one conduit. We're beginning to see this master plan unfold, the plan of God from the beginning of the world that will then culminate in the person of Jesus Christ. Look to God, listen to God, obey God, Trust God, and he will provide deliverance. That was the message to Noah and his family. God was faithful to punish sin, and God was faithful to provide salvation. As we continue to move our way in Genesis, now chapter 12, we see that God is faithful to establish a people. Faithful to establish a people. The promise of God to Abraham is what we find in Genesis chapter 12 and 13 and 15 and 17. God calling Abraham out of the nations. God setting his affection on this man. We find his promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 and 3 where he says, Now the Lord has said to Abraham, or Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
God set his heart on Abram. God took the initiative. There was nothing noteworthy about Abram. There was nothing distinct about him. As a matter of fact, we find in Deuteronomy chapter 7 that the reason why God chose Abraham was because he was small. It wasn't because you were the greatest. It was because you were the least. You were the fewest. And it was through your puniness that I can exalt and demonstrate my greatness. For my glory, I want to establish for the world that salvation comes through my initiative and through my power alone, not through you. God makes a threefold promise to Abraham. I will show you this land. I will make you a great nation, this seed and sons and descendants. I will bless you and make your name great. There will be blessing. There will be favor. There will be relationship with me. Abraham obeyed. God gave him descendants in the land. He gave him a son named Isaac. And he showed his favor to Abraham because of Abraham's faith. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. God has always had a people. God has always desired a relationship with people to worship him, to be examples of faith and obedience. People upon whom God will show favor. People upon whom God will draw into relationship with him and will be a testimony to the rest of the world, the nations about who God is and what God has made available through eventually his son, Jesus. But we see it here through Abraham and his testimony of faith. So God is faithful to punish sin. He's faithful to provide salvation. He's faithful to establish a people. And next we'll see that God is faithful to communicate his standard. In Exodus chapter 19, it's on page 60 of your pew Bibles. We'll know that Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had two sons named Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the one who was chosen by God. Jacob has 12 sons. His name is later changed. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. That's why we call them the sons or the tribes of Israel. These families need to move to Egypt because of a famine that's taking place in the land of Canaan. And for a while, things are going well for them. But after a while, the people living in Egypt forget about Joseph, who would be the second in command underneath Pharaoh. And the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, would grow in terms of numbers, and they would begin, there would begin to be tension between Israel and Egypt. But God raises up a deliverer named Moses who leads them out of Egypt. He reestablishes his promise to them. He hasn't forgot about them. Although 430 years have gone by, God has not forgotten his people. And so at Mount Sinai, God gives them a law, but this time, the law is a bit different. While we saw in the Abrahamic covenant that God says, I will bless, I will give, and I will make you and, and show you favor, here the, the covenant or contract with Israel is now conditional. Notice in Exodus chapter 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, 
You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Sounds easy, right? If you will obey my words, if you'll keep my covenant, then my favor will be on you. You will be my treasured possession. Easy? Wrong. Simply obey, but the obedience that Israel was called to was an obedience they could not perform. As a matter of fact, it's, a, it's an obedience that none of us can perform. This promise that used to rest on God through the Abrahamic covenant now is transferred to the burden of the, this favor now will transfer to Israel. Can they keep the condition of this covenant? The terms of this contract of blessing or cursing to be favored or disciplined would rest on the obedience of this people Israel. As we find in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 1. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And if you know anything about the history of Israel, if you know anything about their, rebel their continued rebellion, you will know they were not able to keep the contract of this law that God had set for them. And so God sends them in, into exile. God uh, exacts these curses on them just the way he promised to do because, as we have said, a promise made is a promise kept. God demands perfection. God demands that you live according to his standard to the T. God demands perfect fulfillment to the law. There is no scale of good and bad. There is only perfection or there is coming short of the glory of God. Hmm. So no one in this room and no one in history has ever measured up to the standard of the Mosaic Covenant. So no one deserves the promise of favor of God. There must be a way of perfection and fulfillment that must come from outside of us, not from within. The Mosaic Covenant was just a reminder for us to see the sin that is in our very selves and that salvation and deliverance, while promise could only come one way, it could only come from God. Because God himself alone could measure up and fulfill the contract that he made with his people. God was faithful to punish sin. God was faithful to provide salvation. God was faithful to establish a people. God was faithful to communicate his standard. And next week we're going to get to God is faithful to confirm his promise. Through all the rebellion of Israel through the centuries. And as we saw in Ezekiel chapter 20, that the wrath of God should have been poured out on them as a nation because of their rebellion and wickedness against God and not following after the Mosaic standard. God still establishes with them his promise through David. 
And he still establishes a promise to them in what we'll call the new covenant. The new covenant, as you see in Jeremiah chapter 31 and Ezekiel chapter 36, is a promise given to Israel. God will continue to keep his word to Israel. And what we're going to see, especially in the new covenant, is now it depends on God. Now it depends on his ability to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And the Mosaic covenant, this contract with God at Mount Sinai, brought that front and center. God will continue to confirm his promise to Israel and the Davidic covenant will be an expansion of and a building upon the Abrahamic covenant reestablishing to Israel his commitment to carry it through. It rests on me. I will do it. My reputation is at stake and when I do it, then all the nations will know that I am the Lord. Let's pray. God, we praise you that while it is impossible for us to measure up to the standard that you have set for us, while it is impossible for us to carry out the covenant requirements that you have given to us through the law, God, we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful that Jesus fulfilled all the law and the prophets. He didn't dismiss them. He didn't wipe them away. He didn't discredit them as, as non-important, but he fulfilled them. And he did that for us to be our righteousness, to be our perfection, so that when we as sinners come to a place of recognizing our brokenness and rebellion against you, that we have broken covenant with you, we realize that you're the only way of deliverance. Lord, this morning, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus as their personal Savior, God, I pray that you would draw them in even now. Convict them by your Holy Spirit. Bring them to a place of submission and humility. Help them to ask forgiveness for their sin and to turn away from it and to know that Jesus is the only way to God. We can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you for that and also for the testimony of those who are baptized in just a few moments. I pray that this picture, this portrait of the saving work of God would be evident and it would exalt you for who you are. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen.